Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Dominique Showers, VP of Rebird, the Circularity Program at Arcteryx, talks with students about upcycling, circularity, and what the company is doing to address sustainability issues of the past while building a roadmap to the future. I just wanted to just set the stage a little bit. Yes, so, please. please. <laughs> the VP of free commerce at Arcteryx. Um, and we thought that pairing this conversation with Jameis last week would be really impactful considering all the work that he's doing in upcycling. And I know that there's a connection between um between Jameis and, and Arcteryx as well. But um, I should also mention Arcteryx is a big supporter of the program. And um, some of you who are in the seminar class heard from Robert Thomas, who's in Ogden, um, kind of leading, leading things um, here in the U.S. Um, so we, we love Arcteryx and appreciate all the support from the company. But with that said, we'll, we'll turn the time over to Dominique. Hey, guys, can you all hear me okay? I'm just making sure I have you guys on the screen here at the same time. All right, perfect. Um, thanks for being here this morning. I'm super excited to speak to you and also um, kind of get in, engaged with you on some questions and learning from my side as well. Um, so I, my name is Dominique. I'm the VP of Recommerce for Arcteryx. Um, and I lead also the Rebird vision. Um, and I'll explain what Rebird is in, in a short moment. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are all really familiar with Arcteryx, but I'll give you a little bit of history about the brand. Um, we're founded in North Vancouver, which is where I'm currently sitting, um, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam um, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Um, we were founded in 1989 by a group of climbers and um, originally launched with, uh, with a vapor harness. That was the original launch of the brand. We actually didn't launch apparel until 10 years later, 1998. That was kind of the big sweep where we finally moved into apparel and started working with Gore-Tex. Um, we also invented the now famous waterproof, uh, watertight zipper technology, which we co-launched with YKK. Um, so that's kind of where we, where we got our ground. Um, as far as our sustainability initiatives, uh, we've... Um, We've uh, really been working with our, closely with our sustainability team uh, led by Katie Wilson. And in 2020, we published, um, we published our commitment to uh, reducing our carbon footprint by 65%, our greenhouse gas emissions intensity. Um, and so that's really what we've been founded on. There are four pillars inside of our sustainability, um, in, inside of our sustainability work that we really lean on. Um, we look to um, 
community impact, which is primarily led by reconciliation. Uh, worker well-being is a big one for us as well. Um, and then climate, which is really closely tied to circularity. So that's that 65% greenhouse gas emissions intensity reduction that I mentioned. Inside of circularity, which is bladdered up into our sustainability commitments, um, we believe that extending the life of our product is going to be uh, the best way to reduce our impact on the environment. We have, um, obviously, our brand is made from um, petroleum-based products. Um, we fully recognize the impact of the, that the products have on the environment. And so um, we really believe in durability. Um, and then when it comes to, to actually extending life of the product, we're trying to figure out ways of, um, there's a few approaches that we've had with our design team. So there's designing for disassembly, which is something that we're actively working on now. So we're looking upstream. Designing for, um, for circularity. So how do, or sorry, for repairability, that's a big one because unfortunately our products since um, they launched in 1998 from an apparel standpoint are really, really challenging to, um, to repair. There's a lot of glues and a lot of delamination that occurs with Cortex. So we're looking upstream to try to resolve a lot of those issues from a circularity perspective. We also have been working really closely with our materials team and sustainability team over the last 10 to 12 years. Um, we built out what we call a preferred fiber roadmap. Um, so there are a lot of things that you will and won't see in our, in our collection, such as um, fleece, traditional fleece you won't see in our collection um, because of micropiling. You also won't see um, a, a heavy amount of cottons in our product. Um, we, we have used it in the past. It's something that we're trying to address. Um, we've been working with Gore-Tex to develop uh, new developments for, um, for Gore-Tex materials that have a further reduction of impact on the environment. Um, so all of this is, is proprietary to the brand, and we essentially launch it with Gore-Tex uh, early, and then, and then it gets kind of you know showcased to the rest of the world, and other brands can use it as well. Um, the work that I'm involved in is the super messy, gritty stuff. And this all ladders up to what we call Rebird. Um, Rebird is our vision statement for all of our circularity initiatives. Um, it is our strategy and um, it's built on three programs that we speak to. Um, we lean on the Ella MacArthur Foundation to define um, what our circular model should look like. And so we look at the three pillars and I'll explain this within Rebird shortly. Um, the first is to extend the life of our product, which I mentioned earlier, that's the number one key way that we can reduce our impact on the environment given the type of brand that we are. Um, the second is to make it with renewable and regenerative and recycled material. And that goes back to our drive with our advanced concepts team to um, develop for disassembly, develop for uh, repairability and to look to our preferred fiber roadmap map and, and to um, ensure that we have um, you know, a reduced impact on um, our environment in the future. And then designing with the end in mind, which is connected to this as well. So this is Rebird. Um, what, the pillar that we stand on is Waste Less by Design. There are three programs that we have inside of it. Um, the first program is our upcycling program, which you may have seen some products on our site if you're familiar with the brand called Rebird ERM. Um, we've also worked with Jameis. We've worked with Nicole McLaughlin. We still work with both of them to come up with some ideas inside of upcycling. Um, ERM stands for Excess Raw Materials. Um, we take end-of-the-roll fabrics and trims and essentially turn them into something new. Um, that's our shorthanded attempt at trying to get ahead of upcycling. My um, 
and my team, uh, we're working on upcycling on a broader scale with used garments. That is going to be the biggest challenge, I think, for this industry is how to take something that's not um, not able to be used in its original condition and turn it into something net new. That's going to be the toughest thing for us to figure out, but that's going to be the most rewarding. So that's why working with partners such as Jameis and Nicole is really important because they're able to get, think of ideas that maybe we haven't. And then we have to figure out how to scale. So that's the big one is built, built from waste. I apologize. It's, I realize it says it twice because apparently I like to write things twice here. And then the second one here is the one that I really focus on on a, on a day-to-day um, is keep the gear in circulation. So this is what we currently call in the U.S. our used gear program. We're in the process of rebranding that. Um, and then also our trade-in program. Um, we essentially take back products that have uh, failed warranty um, or uh, exchanges, et cetera, products that have been um, previously kind of damaged or patinaed in some way. And then we, we bring them back to life. So we repair everything currently um, at ARC-1, which is our manufacturing facility here in Vancouver. Um, we uh, we do everything pretty hands-on. It's to the same level of quality control as how we handle our manufactured goods that are new. Um, so it's a pretty extensive process. It can be as simple as a front zipper repair, which sounds simple, but really isn't because you have to also replace the 70D around the hemline. Um, all the way to scraping off glues and re, uh, re, trying to relaminate everything back together with some older garments. Um, we just did a pilot program with 51 pieces of archival products, um, trying to figure out how to bring them back to life in a way that they would still be super functional today. We were able to salvage 41 of those, um, 10 of which we sold through Grailed um, to promote um, to promote the program and, um, and gave some of the, or gave all the proceeds away actually to climbers of color. So that was a really fun initiative for us, but we're looking to do that with all the rest of the vintage items that we have as well. And then the third program is um, around our care repair. So that's our uh, care education. Um, we have a service center we just launched in, um, in uh, New York City in Broadway, on Broadway. Um, that will, that is our first pilot center. We're looking to open up more. And this is a really important pillar because we actually firmly believe that if you care for your products and, um, extend the life of them as much as you can on your own side, we won't have two and three, which is keep the gear in circulation, use gear program. And we won't have to, um, look at how to deconstruct and disassemble product to turn it into something new. If you can take care of the garments that you have when they're new, um, there's a lot of misconceptions around Gore-Tex that it can't be washed, it can't be dried in a regular washer dryer. Um, the, the reality is, is that the more you use it, the more you should put it in the washer and dryer and then reapply DWR when possible. And, um, and there's often a misconception as well that you would throw it, give it to the dry cleaner which is terrible for the product um, and actually would cause delamination. We've seen people try to steam their garments um, and such. So it's really important. I think education is really at the core of all of this work. Um, and that is really the primary pillar that we're, that we're focused on at the moment is that, that last piece there, this is care to make it last. That's the, that will become front and center of the work that we're, we're trying to treat, achieve here. Oh, apparently I jumped right to the end there. Um, but so essentially... Um, we have now the Rebird Center in, in um, Broadway. We're opening up one in Boulder in June, and we're opening a third one in, um, 
in um, Vancouver, actually on West 4th. And so that will be a full-fledged service center where you can do um, kind of light touch repairs inside the space. And then our plan also is to extend our counter service offerings inside of our store and make it more visible so that you can come in and, and get light touch repairs um, done in store. So that should really help mitigate the carbon footprint um, and then also put the onus and responsibility on the owner's hand to take care of the product that they have. Um, so that's going to be a big one for us. Um, I would invite you all, we're putting together some video content actually, uh, to help uh, showcase the kind of true messiness of re-commerce because it is, um, it's like, it's kind of a beautiful messy, but it is super, super messy. There's, I, I go to Arc One every week there are boxes upon boxes of gear that um, are in generally decent condition. Um, some are in hoard condition and they need to be like a lot more time to repair, but there's some really, really great gear um, that have been exchanged for whatever reason. And um, it's, it's sad to see the state that we've, um, that we've led to as humans, you know, essentially just like stockpiling all of these goods. And at the same time, I'm really proud of the brand for having stockpiled all of its product and not having the heart to do anything um, further damaging with it. So we are slowly going through each of the boxes one by one. Um, we have a team of QC people that go through, um, they basically look through the entire garment. It gets washed on site just to see if there's any further damage that occurs after washing. Um, then it gets bundled with a kit of raw materials and then sent over to our repair team where it goes through a full sweep. And then as it comes out through the other side, it gets QC'd again. If it doesn't pass QC, it goes back into the repair line until, until it passes again. Um, this kind of ties back to the high level of standards that we have at Arcteryx for our products. We don't, um, we don't want to put anything out into the world that is um, not, is, you know, essentially we make product for life, for life saving. This is for like extreme mountain conditions. And so we want to ensure that um, as we repair these used garments or warranty items, that um, they have the same functional use um, that they had when they were first built. Um, we have a couple of ways of being able to repair items. We can try to repair them back to their original look and feel um, as much as possible. And then we have a second set, which is called the functional repairs. And a functional repair would mean that, you know, you would take an alpha SV um, and maybe the hood panel is, is delaminating, but the rest of the jacket is fine. So we remove the hood panel and it's, uh, we might not have the original colorway. So we add a different colorway. So you can see that there's been an adjustment made to the jacket. It's very visible repair, um, but it's still highly, highly functional. And that's really what we're going after is to ensure that we have a super functional um, piece of garment. Um, so yeah, so that's essentially the re-commerce program as well. Um, I'll open it up if you guys have any questions, because I'm sure that there are, and I hope so. I've got an initial question. Um, can you talk a little bit about like the infrastructure that it takes to build out something like this and the new opportunities that develop? I'm thinking of like a company like Tursus that does mm -hmm. like waterless cleaning. I don't know if that, that maybe doesn't necessarily apply to what you're doing or, or as a partner of yours, but like that's a whole new industry that's developing because of re-commerce. I don't know if you can speak a little bit to that, just the infrastructure it takes to build out something like this. 
Yeah, certainly. The um, so we work. We currently work with a few partners. We work with Trove um, as our primary partner. So on the e-commerce side specifically, we wouldn't be able to do this work without them. Um, they also work with Levi's and REI and a few other a few other businesses. Um, so Trove is a company out of San Francisco. They um, developed originally a software that um, enables single SKU management. And so for a brand like ours that's used to selling, you know, hundreds of units, thousands of units of the same thing, um, we get into really uh, tricky waters trying to figure out software for single SKU management, where, I, like I mentioned, a functional repair would be a single, a unique piece that has its own photograph, its own unique identifier. We don't have the technology to support that. Um, companies such as StockX and Grailed, um, any kind of platform such as that, they have that software, and that's why they're able to, to do the work that they do. And so Trove has this software built in. They also have a full facility to be able to handle um, all of the assessment on site. So they, as soon as a product comes in through the door, they tag it right away with our branding on the inside. There's a little label on the inside back and they, they stamp it. So that, that stamp won't wash off. And we know right away that that garments come through the e-commerce program. Um, it's on the inside. So don't worry, it won't be visible to the world. Um, but it also authenticates the garment. So that's like one of the big key pieces with um, our products is that, you know, obviously there's a lot of fakes and we want to make sure that the product is super authenticated. Um, once it goes through that stream, um, they assess it, they check it for damages, and then they kind of assess the quality, give it a quality grading. So excellent to great to good. Um, they put it through the photo studio. Um, it goes through wash as well, wash and dry. They use water, um, not unlike Tursus. It's a bit of a different um, beast, which I'll explain later. And then it goes through a regular e-commerce cycle where it goes through like a warehouse pick and pack situation to get shipped out to the guest. So um, we're working really closely with them to figure out how to further integrate the experience. So it's like more aligned with our brand. Um, so there'll be some development on the website that we'll do on the front end and on the back end um, that, that will develop um, together and also some new software programming that they're working on for next year that will really help to unlock um, our capabilities beyond just the United States. We'll be launching a pilot program as well into Canada with them at the end of March. Um, so it will give our, our retail stores right now, you can walk into any Arcteric store and offer your products for in-store trade-in um, at a discount of the of the original price of the goods. Um, and we also have what's called a mail-in trade-in program as well. So you can ship everything. It goes directly either to us in Vancouver at our warehouse at Arc One, um, where it gets assessed on site or it goes to Trobe. Um, where we work with Tursus, uh, so Tursus is um, waterless technology. These are these giant drum machines. Um, they can, you can throw a lot of product in there at once. They disinfect everything. So when we have situations where product um, might be contaminated some way, we send everything over to Tursus. Um, and Trove also partners with Tursus. So if they can't handle it, they'll send it over to Tursus. Tursus will take care of disinfecting everything and then um, ship it back over to us. Um, the beautiful thing with Tursus is actually some of the guys from there are now actually originally from Trove are now over at Tursus. They, um, they're working on setting up repair lines as well. So they've been, um, they've been starting to do some testing for repairs um, um, within the Tursus team. And then we're also working in, with another company that's called um, Gear Restore. Um, they, uh, they already are an authorized 
um, repair dealer for Arcteryx uh, in the US, um, but not yet for e-commerce. We're trying to figure out if we can work with them. We just need to we need to get to a place where we can educate these third-party partners on exactly how to repair um, Arcteryx product and to use Arcteryx raw materials. So um, that's part of the pro- that's part of the work that's actually occurring right now is setting up that documentation so that we have a thorough partnership with these third parties. Um, we wouldn't be able to do this work without the networking that has been created inside of Circularity. It's been super rewarding to see how everybody wants to collaborate and figure out solutions together. It's very open sourced. Um, there's even just with other brands, like, you know, that we're working on a, I'm, I'm going to be on a panel of South by Southwest and it's with Patagonia and Cotopaxi and just the openness to learn from one another. You know, we might kind of favor one material over another, but we all have it essentially the same problem that we need to solve for. So, um, so t- s- companies such as Tersus and Trove are really are really kind of groundbreaking, and they're they're pushing they're pushing the envelope um, a lot further ahead. Um, and like I mentioned, I think the biggest opportunity is going to be inside of that upcycling space. It's how do you take a Nicole or a Jameis and make that into a larger, more scalable solution? Um, that's going to be that's going to be I think the future. Have you as looking into the future? Um, is there more potential within a specific area of dealing with remnant or defective product or focusing on the upcycling of return product? Um, I think I think the opportunity is like I mentioned, I think the, the biggest opportunity for us is that care, that front end um, service. You know, it's similar to like, you know, buying a car or having a bike. It's like you have to tune it up and take care of it. And with outdoor gear, it's it's going to be the same thing. So I think our biggest opportunity is on the education, um, offering uh, ways to help service products. So it's it, it lasts longer. Um, we know that if um, like depending on the use of the jacket, how many years we might be able to get out of it, how do we extend that? So I think that's a big opportunity for us. So that's why um, it's really important to work with our advanced concepts team on our design side to think about like designing for repairability um, and designing for disassembly. I think that's the biggest opportunity. So that I think will reduce the impact on re-commerce, will reduce, like, you know what I mean? It, it should eventually um, solve for the problem of waste. And hopefully we don't have to upcycle anything anymore because we've managed to figure out how to solve for the first part, which is how to extend the life of it. Um, and then it, it becomes a trickle effect for the second for reselling. And, and, and like, hopefully it's just like a nothing really there, just just like very little left over for upcycling. That would be the beautiful thing. Unfortunately, we're on the reverse that the, the world's been so highly consuming product and just discarding stuff and, and not using it well, not taking care of it. Um, you know, we're all guilty of that. And um, I think if we can shift, it's really going to come down to a change in behavior. Um, and um, how do we all collectively shift the way we look at product and look at gear and look at clothing and footwear and all of it so that we know that we're kind of like the gatekeepers of uh, responsibility on that, on those goods. Um, because putting in the landfill is not an option and sending it to Salvation Army when it's been like torn to shreds is also not an option. Nobody wants your used junk. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think, I think the first, I think the biggest opportunity is that first part. I think right now, you know, we've been around since 1998 making apparel. We have uh, harnesses from 1989. We have to look back in the rear view and figure out how to solve for the problem that we've left in our trail while we figure out how to solve for the future. 
Um, I think that's going to be like a game changer. Speaking about solving for the future, how are you guys? <clears throat> I know you guys are well, kind of organically stepping into the fashion industry. How are you guys kind of trying to account for that new influx of product demand? Um, what's interesting, it's, a, it's brought in a new audience, a younger audience. Um, it's, you know, I would say like when I started with Arterix, we were definitely kind of like the dinosaur of all the brands. We would joke that that's literally who we were. And we were aging with the demographic. And I think the beautiful thing is the programs and, you know, the collabs and stuff that we've done has brought in a younger audience that really understands the true value of quality um, uh, products that are designed for a very specific use. So it, um, it's, it's not necessarily that there's an influx of like, we're not just trying to, you know, berate ourselves in a way of like, you know, we can't sell more product, but at the end of the day, the responsibility is really, really key. And so the educational part is like really where we're anchoring towards. So as we bring in a younger audience, a newer audience to our brand, um, which we love, and if we can connect a younger, newer audience to the outdoors and um, create, you know, spaces and opportunities that are inclusive, such as our academies and um, our design events, um, then we can get everyone involved in the conversation and think about like that change behavior um, that I think is super, super important for all of us to think about. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Very good question because it's obviously something that we've, we've talked about a lot about is like, as we grow as a brand, are we inherently creating our own problem and making it worse? But we firmly believe that we can be a force for greater good. Um, we have a saying inside of this building, we call it leave it better. And that's like such a passion driven force inside of this organization you know the the um the preferred fiber roadmap as an example was really started out by the materials team that just saw all the waste that had been created in the world and they were like just sick to their stomachs thinking about the work that they were doing so they were the ones who like rolled up their sleeves and they're like we're not doing it this way anymore we're not working with this kind of fleece anymore we're going to stop working with these companies and they um and they forced the change with the partners, <clears throat> like they, they're the ones who are saying to the Polar Tech and Gore-Tex and YKK and all those companies, like, Hey, we can't work with this stuff anymore unless you guys fix it. And so that's like the true passion that the business has had. That's on one end, the, uh, the re-commerce program, it was, you know, the, the guys at Arc One were just like, what do we do with all this stuff? And they, and you know, the people that were any other company who had a warehouse full of what we call the circular space, it was just stacks and piles of boxes on pallets on pallets, just looking at it would just go, just throw it in the dumpster. And nobody at Arc One was willing to do that. Everybody was like, oh my God, we have to like figure out what to do with this stuff. So they started on their spare time trying to figure out how to fix it. We have guys downstairs here on our, on our uh, warranty team that spend after hours just going through raw materials and like taking a jacket that was brought back in through warranty and trying to figure out how to turn it into like a saddle for their bikes or turning it into a new backpack because they're so passionate about it, not going to waste and they want to learn how to do it. Um, so I think it's kind of built inherently in who we are 
Um, it's like the use gear program is another example of that. It's like, it was literally off the side of the desk. So there, there were volunteer days where, um, people from the office would be offered in, in exchange for pizza to come to arc one, to go sift through boxes and to create ad hoc inventory on a spreadsheet, just be able to like figure out how to put it through a repair stream. And this is just four years ago and two years ago, even it's only in the last year that we've gotten a little bit more automated. And I would say it's still, it's still not like clean at all. Um, so I think our internal passion and drive is going to affect a lot of the change from within. And the nice thing is, is as we grow, we have a lot more of a voice that we can bring to those partners. Um, you know, I've been speaking a lot with YKK about their zippers and like, they've got some ideas that are going to be really game-changing for us and we'll salvage a lot of the products that we've been having to take back in through warranty. So I think that's, that's really key. It's like, even if you're, you, any of you go to work within an outdoor brand, like keep that voice, keep that passion and, and don't change your values or compromise who you are inside of, inside of this work. You can drive a force for change from within. I love hearing you say that. I keep telling these guys, you guys have a voice, like start asking the questions. And so to hear um, your experience of that actually happening inside of your company is um, validating, I guess, for some of the things that I've been trying to uh, share um, with my students. So that's just, that's really cool that it started with one person saying, hey, why are we doing this? You know, I'm questioning mm -hmm. that. And then finding a team of people that are willing to, to work together with them, I think is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and gaining an audience to change that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. How have, you know, as you've reached out to YKK, were they, I mean, you know, for, for you to come to them, did you get pushback initially from them on that? Or were they like, okay, yeah, this is a new way for us to innovate. Um, how did that process go for you? For, you know, for it's been really fascinating with everyone. Um, I, I would say, I would say all of the partners that we have still in our roster because of the preferred fiber roadmap that we've established and like the fact that we align with the HIG index, et cetera, there's a strong understanding that we have high value um, inside of our business. And so to work with us, you have to be able to be a solution driver. And so, um, um, you know, inside of our organization, it's one of the reasons why it takes so long for us to even launch a product. Like I mentioned earlier, like we're finally launching this, this new backpack in, in the fall that we've been working on for years and years and years because we just want to get it right. Um, and it's this relentless pursuit for like borderline perfection that this organization faces. And so these partners that we have, the YKKs, PolarTech, you know, Cortex, they know that about us. And so they're always like, what can we do better? How can we make it better? And so they're looking to us for like, you guys are the users of it. You guys are using it in our coast mountains. It's probably the most extreme conditions that you can get. And there's like ice climbers on our teams. And these guys will go out and test the product. Our, the, the way our brand works is, is super unique from anything I've seen. It's, it's much more like a, like a fashion atelier. It's very hands-on. So if you were to step into the Arcteryx building, so I'm sitting in um, the headquarters. So this is called HQ. And across the street, there's another building called the Design Center. And inside of the Design Center is a full-fledged um, uh, development floor. And that essentially means like, it looks like a, like a small manufacturing facility. And that's how Arcteryx was born. So sewing machines, everything all set up there. Our designers and developers work lock and step with each other. So if they come up with a new concept, the developer will figure out how to produce it. It's essentially like a builder and um, construction engineer. 
and they'll figure out how to put together the product. And then they go out in the field and they actually test it themselves. So whether it's a harness or a pack or a glove or whatever they're making, they will go out and test it and they'll test it until it fails. Test and fail, test and fail. And they'll keep doing that. They'll keep iterating on it, iterating on it. They use salvage all raw material parts from around the building. And then, um, and then once they get it to succeed, that's when they start validating it. And then from there, they figure out how to... We don't use any tech packs. We send no drawings to any factory. We, um, we send them a sample and we send them... Um, uh, we sent a pattern and that's it. And we're like, tell us how you're going to build it with your machinery. And then we'll tell you if it's accurate and then we'll test it again. And then once they get it right, then we feel okay about commercializing it, but only then. So for us, it takes like, that's why there's all these iterations behind me is it takes that many years for just to make one jacket lighter. So you do that with each product that you produce. That's really fascinating. Um, because we've talked about that, how we've heard from some other companies who aren't doing the product testing. And if you're truly trying to embrace circularity, that probably if you're looking at durability and longevity is kind of what we just covered last week, but um, that product testing and identifying the things that you want to work and work really well needs mm -hmm. to be an integral component of the design process. So that's awesome Absolutely. to hear your guys' um, process with that. Well, what the designers questions? have a good time here. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it sounds like it. Like that's the true, like, because they're creating and they're seeing it come to life right before their mm -hmm. eyes and then being able to go out and use it. That's just excellent. What other questions do you guys have um, about some of the processes that Arcteryx is following and using or just questions for Dominique? You talked a lot um, about... I have a... Oh, 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 sorry. Go ahead, Kaysen, and then Kenzie, we'll have you jump in. Okay. Um, you talked a lot about education as far as consumers, um, spe specifically for care. I think you used an example of Gore-Tex and how it can be washed. What are the ideas that you have come up with are, I guess, the plans that you guys have for educating those consumers? Is it going to be hang tags, um, education, information on your website? Like what, what all are the ways that you guys are innovating to try and get that information across? Yeah, I mean, we've always had the the um, the repair capabilities inside of our stores. We never fully talk about it. There's no signage that says anything. It's not discussed really. It's kind of something like if you come in and say, "Hey, something's up with my jacket," then they'll be like, "Oh, by the way, here's this whole toolbox that we happen to have hidden somewhere in the back." Um, so I think putting it front and center is going to be really, really important for us. We're also working on a, a full-fledged packaging initiative. We're actually thinking about what is packaging, what should it look like. We're um, obviously with circularity in mind, we're like, do we need packaging? So do we need hang tags or is it just codes that you scan with your phone and that's where the information comes through? Um, we're trying to get a lot more efficient um, with that. So from a packaging standpoint, it's something that's being considered, but obviously less is more. So we're trying to be a lot more focused with what we actually put out in the world, including cardboard. Um, and, um, uh, and then once, so once we have the service counter set up properly, that's going to be like an ongoing rollout that we'll, we're starting actually this year. Um, so if 2022 is our foundational year, we're hoping that 2023, we have a lot of them actually actively turned on. Um, and then these service centers are really important for us. Um, there's a, our, what we call our retail store fleet staff. They're called their program guides. Um, there's a lot of training that's, that's currently going underway over the next few months to ensure that they're fully onboarded and know how to handle light, light touch repairs. Um, zipper sliders are uh, an issue that pops off quite a bit. So we're trying to 
correct that. Um, we can, if you accidentally snag your, your puffy or your jacket um, on the hill uh, with a tree or branch or anything, we can do a light touch repair with tenacious tape and we can easily do that on site. Um, anything that requires stitch opening is, is more of like something that needs to go off site. And we're trying to regionalize it so that it's like more closely adjacent to the cities where we're physically located in versus having it all shipped back to arc one, which is just highly, highly inefficient and really terrible from a carbon footprint perspective. Um, they are the best at what they do, but it doesn't mean that we can't educate others to, to support us in longer term. So that's why I mentioned that gear restore um, and those other third-party partners that we can um we can develop, but yeah, from an educational standpoint, it's going to be, I think really around um, our retail store footprint. And there was another question. Yes. Kate, mine was pretty much the same question. I was just wondering, yeah, if that was just making your um, care labels really detailed so that customers know how to take care of their items and realize that they can wash their jackets and stuff. But I feel like you did touch on that. Just we now, have some so. we have some YouTube videos that we put out like four years ago, and they're they're like I love Devin, who's in them. He's our, one of our after sales leads. Um, he's so detail oriented, but they're so that as a result, they're this four minutes of how to replace something that should actually take you less lot less time to do. So we're we're gonna get Devin to reshoot those, and we're gonna try to put that education really on the forefront of the site. So it's just a lot of like there's a lot of brand marketing work that we're partnering with to create the content so that it's front and center and super accessible. Um, and it empowers the individual to be able to do the repairs themselves. You have a pair of needle nose pliers and we can send you the part. You can, you can easily do it. What are some of the things that make you kind of maybe feel nervous or anxious about, um, I guess we'll just leave it at that nervous or anxious. Like how, how do you really, you know, tackle this program, um, of circularity? Um, what things are you still maybe unsure of that we could ask Dominique about? Or do you have ideas for me? Yes, or ideas. <laughs> I look for solutions. I guess, so I have a question. How long do you test something for durability before you're like satisfied with sending it out for the market? Uh, great question. It depends on the garment um, and the end use. So uh, speaking of our shell jackets, that would probably be what we're most known for. Um, our product, so our product design cycle for advanced, I'm trying to think of where we're at now because we changed things a little bit over the last two years, but it used to be, we were on a three-year cycle, once validated product, once validated, once tested, as approved everything, we would only put it out in the world three years later. It would take us that long to get it out. Um, there'd be extensive testing even within the factory level. Um, so at the time, up to, up to two years ago, I would say maybe like a three to six year cycle. Um, the pack that we're launching this fall for Avalanche Safety, um, that one is a partnership that we're launching. That one has been in development now for, I want to say for five years, four or five years. Um, we launched a pack a few years ago. We weren't happy with the battery inside of it. This is a new opportunity for us to launch something new that we're really excited about. And um, so it, it just really depends on like, you know, what level of life-saving does this need to be? Because we're going to insert like harnesses that needs to be heavily tested. Um, yeah, number of years, certainly. 
And then as you get into more like, you know, the fleece I'm wearing right now is actually a valence fleece. So we've been testing this material for a while. Um, we're trying to obviously reduce micro shedding. We've stopped using fleece in general and we, we've been, this is my wear test sample. So we're trying to see how it wears and washes over time. So I've been wearing this around the office all the time, wearing this out about, I wear it snowboarding as well. Um, and then I will give back to the designers eventually to learn from what happened to this piece. But I've been, I've been asked to wear this. It's been over a year. <laughs> still, that's pretty still wear cool testing that, it. <laughs> that's cool that they let you uh, kind of test it out and just be like, Hey, give it back to us and we'll see what happens. So yeah, that's pretty cool. How I don't know how it wears. Yeah. In, in reference to your wear testing, um, do they have you like keep a log of how many hours you've worn it or do they just say, go wear it, use it, and then give us your initial feedback? How do they collect data on that? Yeah. Um, they'll ask you, so just essentially wear it, wash it as you normally would. And they ask you to wear it more often, um, keep it at regular use. Um, it's uh, it's very dependent on the use and use case. So they'll ask you exactly, you know, where were you? Is it just day to day? Um, how did you wash it? Did you put it in the dryer? Did you put it in the wash in the dryer with other garments? That kind of stuff. So um, yeah, it's it's pretty extensive. The the warranty um, team has a lot of feedback. So anytime you guys have any issues with your garments and you send it through, that all of that information goes back to our design team as well. As long as it's like an uh, um, kind of um, triage, we, we can triage others a consistent problem with something. And then we're like, okay, we need to let the designers know because they probably need to stop using that type of zipper or stop using that type of material because it's causing problems. Or we need to look at how we sewed it, um, you know, because maybe the stitch um, tore open on a pair of pants and it just wasn't, um, it just wasn't holding up. So we, we, we get a lot of feedback from, you know, the regular uh, user as well as, um, as well as ourselves inside the building. Somebody had a question or a comment. Somebody's got lots of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Landon. Um, I love it. Yes. Get more involved, bringing the ideas in. We are definitely not, we're humble in this space. It's, um, it's like us working with Jameis was really eye-opening for us. Um, I went to arc one and picked out jackets for him and shipped them all over and, uh, just for him to be able to disassemble and turn into his designs. Um, that's one solution that was provided to us. Nicole has her solutions that she provides hers or art forms. She's been part of our design summits as well um, and academies that we work with to try to um, really onboard people to the concept of upcycling and, and taking the power in your own, ha own hands and learning how to sew. Um, a lot of that's kind of a lost art form. Mm -hmm. um, there's not a lot of people sewing anymore. So if you can pick up a sewing machine, it's fun. Um, but yeah, the ideas are great. Um, I mean, I can show you the problem and maybe there's something out there we haven't thought of. Awesome. I might, I'm going to probably introduce you through email to Landon. He's actually just picked up an internship here at Utah State. We're trying to get a repair shop set up on campus. Awesome. And so he's kind of our lead guy on that. So I might have him, uh, I'll make an introduction. Perfect. So thank you. I appreciate that. Maybe you guys can repair our stuff. Well, that'd be awesome. We'd love to look at some. I'll send you guys some parts. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get in touch with that. I think that would be really um, 
Awesome. I mean, that's one of the a big thing at Utah State is we are trying to reduce our own sustainability or our own footprint, right? And and become more sustainability sustainable in other areas. And so, um, it's kind of exciting to see where maybe we can go with this. Mm-hmm. I have a question. You talked about a lot of the information that's collected during the testing process and how that's given to designers to improve products. Is there similar? Um, data collection from returns and gear that's completely worn out and does that mm-hmm. then is that then shared with his designers to create a more durable or repairable product in the future yeah we work lock and stack with who i mentioned the design concept the advanced concept team so um with tom fail who's been with us for a number of years and greg grensky um those are the two key leads and then their team as well so we have regular touch bases with them where they'll bring them we'll bring them to arc one um and show them hey this is the problem we're dealing with do you have a solution for us or um this has been a consistent issue um we keep seeing over and over again in this return product we're trying to repair and then they'll um they'll kind of go back to the drawing board to try to figure out how to solve for upstream design as well as try mm-hmm. to give us solutions on how to repair. Um, we have some amazing operators inside of Arc One that have been with the brand for a number of years. So sometimes we're able to lean on our repair teams to come up with solutions um, where you know maybe um, we can't let relaminate something. We can do redo some sort of abrasion to relaminate it, or um, we just might sew it back in and add a backer to it. It's not a big deal. It's, it just adds a little bit of bulk. But at the end of the day, it still gets the product back into the field and it's highly, highly waterproof. So um, yeah, lock and step with our design partners, which is how we created the whole program of design, um, designing for, um, so from a functional repair perspective, because we used to try to repair everything back to its original standard. So if it was a red jacket, it had to be a red jacket with a red zipper. And, and But what if we didn't have that original zipper anymore? Or what if we didn't have that original material anymore? Because Gore-Tex, we've you know, evolved from Gore-Pro. There's like different iterations of, we started with XCR, you know, back in the day mm-hmm. and we've evolved since. So like we, um, we need their partnership to be able to figure out how to, how to repair something um, regardless of the year that it came out. Um, I was just going to ask, are, do you know, if, are there like unique roles that designers play Arcterics that maybe wouldn't be involved so much like in other companies? Cause it just seems like designers are super involved in like repair and research. Um, I don't know, just as like a future designer, like it seems like an awesome place to work. And if they're just different or unique roles that you think designers play at Arcterics. Yeah, I think it depends on the department you're in. So all the designers work on one team, um, but they have different kind of streams of focus. So we have a men's design lead, we have a women's design lead, and then we have uh, the advanced concepts team. Um, I would say if like when it comes to like truly iterating like the new what's in the future, the advanced concepts team is is really kind of more up your alley, super fun. Um, all of the teams are super involved in like the wear testing and the, and the, the, the further development of the product. Um, you know, everyone here is like super passionate about the outdoors, um, loves the simplicity of the design, really passionate about the quality. Um, and then the opportunity is within the advanced concept team as to like what to design for in the future that we haven't yet imagined. Um, that's that, that's that team that gets to do that kind of work, which is super fun.
Um, that's awesome. And I guess along with that, you said you're not sending tech flats to factories necessarily. So you have pattern makers and sewers that are prototyping, and then you send those to the factories to go off of instead of flats, basically. Yeah, we have two ways of working and we're starting to dive into more of the second one. Um, so the first are just uh, samples and um, and patterns. The, the other way of working, we actually, we actually developed more so within the valence team was the Clo 3D programming. So 3D is like obviously the now and a lot of the ways that we're trying to onboard our designers to learn how to um, create the product. It's nice because we've been able to upload all of our material packages inside of it. We have all of our fits inside of it. Um, and so getting really, really savvy with Clo 3D is, is really, really key because I think that's, that's going to um, improve our way of working in the long run. Do you think that's created a more sustainable approach so you're not back and forth with factories? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that would be the hot tip. Learn Clo 3D. We also will teach our, our staff um, Clo 3D. So our designers will also be onboarded to it over time. Um, but it is a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an important program for us. Any 3D technology. Do you know how much time that has saved uh, the... Uh, development program of the product instead of having to go back and redesign and get back and forth does it the product just pretty close to finished when it comes back from your factories it's a good question i actually don't know the answer to that offhand um but i can look into that i can get back to you on that one i don't know how much that has saved but i'm i'm imagine it has when i was with valence um we didn't have all of our pro, uh, products going through clo 3d um but it definitely cut down on the communication back and forth um it improved, it improved and streamlined the efficiency. So take the 3D apparel class, learn browseware. Yes. We, we, we offer browseware here um, just because we got a, a great, great deal. And, and some Clo's expensive, yeah. Yeah, some companies use browseware and some use Clo. We've happened to just gravitate towards Clo, but Clo also has a, or we've gravitated towards browseware, but Clo also has a great student discount, student license. And we've had students le learn browseware as a foundation and then go kind of teach themselves Clo mm -hmm. at foundation. So, yeah, one of your biggest fun. things with that is just learning. I mean, your draft, you guys know your Adobe Illustrator and things like that, but then it's like, how do you uh, apply the fabric physics? Um, how do you stitch the garments together to create all of that? So if you're learning a 3D um, programming, you, that knowledge that can transfer from software program to software program fairly easily drastically reduces the learning curve if you learn it first. So, yeah. Well, I think getting really hands-on is key. I was just going to jump in and say that yeah. because like learning how to sew, learning how to make your own patterns, that's a lost art form that we do look for here. And so knowing that is, is an important skill. And then the 3D component is, is, yeah. is really essential way above and beyond Adobe skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for validating that for us as well, Dominique. Thank you Thank for you. your time this morning. Um, as uh, really, you know, inspiring, insightful for us to get a glimpse into um, your guys's practices and processes and love that you've validated everything we've talked about so far in class and we'll continue to talk about. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. And thanks to Dr. Dreg for playing on camera. <laughs> I'm loving it. All righty. Thanks, thanks so much, you guys. Really appreciate you all being thanks. here. And I can't wait to see you guys over here at some point. So um, look forward to hearing from more of you. I'm right. online. I'm always available. 
Okay. Thank you, Dominique. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.